We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Soph and everyone listening. I can actually smell smoke and burning, and I don't know if it's this cord in front of me or my brain, but both (laughs) look like they're about to burn out. Yeah, it 100% is that. So if this cuts out, then I'm just letting you know <laughs> I've blown up in the pod or something has happened. She has no eyebrows left. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, if you're listening to this on the day it is released, we'd like to acknowledge that it's Anzac Day yes. and pay our respects to the Anzacs. As much as the public holiday isn't necessarily for happy reasons, we hope everyone has a nice day and spending it with your family. Beautifully said. Now, Jade, how are you? Tell us about your week. Um, it's very timely to feel like this in a episode that is about anxiety and depression, but I've uh, once again hit a wall, which is unfortunate, and um, it's been a while since I've felt like this, so I am struggling with these feelings and I'm, I'm a bit emotional, I'm a bit angry about it. I forgot all those tools again and I'm yeah, I'm really not in a really great space. It's it's yeah, it's like the roller coaster ride that just doesn't seem to ever end. So do you feel like this week is it more anxiety? Is it more depression? Is it a beautiful cocktail of the two? I just noticed that like things were starting to creep up again. Like I was getting pretty overwhelmed with everything in life like it's never a particular thing it's it's either I do everything to the best of my ability always and then I crash and burn out but I said to my therapist because I saw her last week I said you know how people are addicted to like drugs and addicted to you know heaps of things I'm addicted to being productive and working. Yeah. Like I can't stop. I don't know how to stop. I don't want to rest because I feel like I'm wasting my time. Yeah. And I'm learning, like I am learning that you need to do these things because this is a, I'm a human being and I Mm. have to learn these tools to not get into these states. But when it feels good and I've been like this for so long, my whole life I've been wired this way. It's really hard to prioritize rest and relaxation and whatever it may be for people. But for me, when I'm in a good space, it's a big waste of time. Like right now, it's the most meaningful thing ever. And I get it. I get that that's what I need because yeah. right now I've got mental and emotional burnout to the point where I can't remember 
things. I'm not listening to what people are saying because I'm already anxious about how I'm taking that in. I could sense the last recording we had. I was getting irritated about me panicking, about me listening. Then it just gets even worse, like um, the housework, uh, finance. I start thinking about everything that's a problem and I just catastrophize everything. And now, like I... I actually got out of the car this morning and I just said to Harry, we had the kids in the car, I said I need to, because we were arguing, and I just said I need to walk home. I can't, like from the bottom of my driveway, that's a kilometre, I said I need to I need to let this out, like I need to close the door and I need to be on my own. And I yeah. cried, like actually howled crying for good half a K. And then my kids met me and they were riding their bikes down to meet me and like I feel like such a failure like no no, I I just I feel like I'm I'm undoing all the work that I'm doing I hate this space in my life I just hate feeling like this I'm so angry at myself like I don't know why other people can work it out like how can people find time or choose to find time or understand that you have to like find time for yourself I just can't stop like even the girls are like mom can we have so and so over I can't even put up a boundary to say no like I can't I don't want to disappoint anyone and all it's doing is dragging me further and further down. Like I can't, can't, can't fill up my cup. <sighs> I don't know. And like even the other day my therapist was asking me questions like, no, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're asking me. I can't. I, I can't understand what you're even saying. I'm completely wiped out. And all I'm focusing on is negative shit and being irritated and wondering why. It's not even wondering why anymore. It's more just, you idiot, you've done this to yourself again. <sighs> anyway, sorry, I just... Do not say sorry. Say anything you like, but do not say sorry. And you're allowed to be so frustrated at the situation, but please stop taking that frustration out on yourself. It's not your fault. And you shouldn't be mad at yourself that you're undoing things. You know that you're always stronger on the other side. And no matter how much work you put in, unfortunately, you have a mental illness and you're going to have time, no matter how much work you do and as scary as it sounds, you are going to have times when you're low and you're anxious. So if what you're striving for is to feel good all the time, that is not going to happen and that is another unrealistic expectation that you're putting on yourself on top of the rest. And the thing that's hard for you is that your self-care, or not your self-care, but your hobby and you shouldn't be ashamed that your hobby is getting shit done. I (laughs) love getting shit done. Like nothing, sorry, Nick, nothing gets me going quite like ticking off a list. Mm. And I get that. So if you're feeling good, why would you avoid that? 
But, you know, and I'm not going to start offering up solutions, but obviously you have to find a way that you roster it in, whether you're feeling good or bad, that you have a break from getting yourself off over productivity. Totally. And apparently the whole reason behind me doing this is because I'm um, petrified of this space, this mindset. So all I do is be productive to block out the quiet, the pause, the downtime, um, and then I'm here and this is what happens. I get really scared because I'm fighting this downtime and mm. um, like I, I've even been told that even if I don't like sitting and reading a book, it's almost like I have to force myself or force yeah. myself to sit and do nothing for five minutes and I no, might but I be feel uncomfortable. like to start with you need to do something while you're sitting there. Yeah. Oh, like I find it hard to sit and do nothing but I can sit and read a book or like I'm not a good napper but I can take myself off into a room, lie on the bed and read a book because at least in our non-stop productive brains, we can convince ourselves yeah. that we're still doing something somewhat productive. And that's okay. If, if it at least lets you rest, like you've got to start somewhere that's easy. You can't start by being like, I'm going to go sit on the couch and stare at the blank wall for an hour. Like that's never going to happen. Do you know what she said to me? She, I said, I would rather, this is pretty messed up, but I said, I would rather a murderer come into the house, right? And just come at me. I know then me feel this way. And she said, I know, because you strategize everything in your life and you pro you probably could like come up with a strategy to get him out of the house. I don't know, mm. but you can't control this and this yeah. is the problem. This you is could what get away from the murderer maybe. Correct, but, you can't but get I away can't escape yourself. this. And yeah. it's just this constant cycle. And funny you say stare at the wall because today – of all times, I'm staring watching Nemo with the girls. Billy goes, Mum, I don't want to freak you out, but there's a snake behind the TV. And I'm like, you, you're, you could not be serious. And she's like, no, I am. I just saw the tail. This happened literally an hour ago. And I said, oh, my God, I just, anyway, so I look behind. Yep, yep, there's a fucking tree snake just curled up behind there. Called out to Harry. He's like, oh, no, there's a snake. Hang on, let me get it. He gets it with a marshmallow stick and takes it outside. But it's like it's just when you're already torn apart and I don't have any anything to help with my fight or flight, yeah. a snake's there just to... You know, so just as you've been going downhill, you've had a bat in your fucking bedroom and a, a bat tree behind week. your this TV. Week's a snake. It's <laughs> Mercury's apparently in fucking retrograde. I'm not laughing at you, but I'm just like, where you live does not help your. But anxiety. someone said to me, she said at the nail salon last week, she goes, Mercury is in retrograde. How's me? I'm like, okay, that's what the problem is. It's yeah. that. It has to be yeah. that. It's like pinpointing where the problem is. The problem yeah. is that I need to really learn and put on timers on my phone to work out whatever the hell it is that makes me feel good and sit and go do it. That's not productive. I need to learn this. Because even you doing exercise, I feel like that's still like, you know, it's active, it's productive. You're like, and I yeah, tick, it. tick it off the list. Correct. I've done that. Like it needs to be something that is slow. Mm. And you can't tick it off a list. 100%. And I think maybe this is the chapter where I 
I have to go down this path because I real I'm learning so much about it that I I now know how vital this is. But I feel like while you're in it, you almost need to stop thinking about how you're going to stop yourself from being in it again because that in some ways is, you know, mm. like even when I saw you on Instagram reaching out for other people's strategies, I'm like, Jade, just mm. let yourself recover from this mm. before you start thinking about what am I going to do the next time I go downhill. And that's like whole part, you can deal with it. that when you're well. Yeah. But I think it's recognising like even I'm like, oh, if I have a five-minute break, I'll be able to go to the next thing. It's like you need you need a long break. Like I guess the way I think about it is if I've been going well for so long, surely I have to have downtime for a certain amount. And, you know, I've been told that I can do everything to a mediocre level and like I can get the kids to school, I can record a podcast, I can be on time, I can do all these things. I'm just not going to be at the level that I love in quotations and I need to be okay with that because that's actually a normality for most people. Mm. I actually feel a little bit better sharing that and you talking to me because I feel like this is the other thing. You kind of can be vulnerable to a screen or vulnerable, you know. And we chat about it in this conversation, yeah. Yeah, but it's just so important to talk to people and find that person that makes you feel supported because that little bit there goes a long way in terms of recovery. How are you? I'm really good because we always take it in turns. Yes, we do. I'm feeling a bit emotional and it's bittersweet. So the day this episode comes out, Pearl will be 12 weeks old, which obviously it is a privilege to watch her grow, but I cannot believe that we're already here. Like I just cannot believe it. Neither can I. And... Yeah, it's just like, I mean, I haven't felt like I've had a newborn for quite a while because I feel like she kind of came out of the womb alert. So that's not the new thing, but it's, you know, I've already packed away the newborn clothes. Well, I've gave, <sighs> given them to a friend who's pregnant. I've already moved up from newborn to infant nappies. Like I've done all of that and they were emotional. But, yeah, the 12-week mark just feels really big and bittersweet but I'm also just immensely proud. Like I'm just really proud of my family. I'm proud of the big girls. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of Nick. I'm just really proud of the way that we've kind of handled this season and it hasn't been smooth sailing and it's busy. And I don't remember the last time I spoke to Nick that wasn't about, you know, logistics or kids or who's doing what or who's picking up what slack. But yeah, I feel like I feel I feel like we more than survived this, you know, fourth trimester, which I guess is coming to an end. And yeah, I'm really proud of us for that. So yeah. And also, we're going to Bali on Saturday. <laughs> well, that helps. <laughs> which I'm super duper excited about. So yeah. Well, I'm very, very excited for you and I can't wait to see you guys having fun overseas as a family of five. I'm sure you'll keep us posted on all the highs and the lows that goes on over there. Absolutely. Hopefully not too many lows. But yeah, obviously, anytime you're in this space, I'm devastated. I also, in hindsight, am like, oh, you know, why didn't I do something last week? Because it was obvious, you know, when we jumped off one of our recordings that you were 
not yourself, (laughs) like you were getting overwhelmed by things that you don't normally get Mm. overwhelmed about. You were irritated. But I just kind of thought it was like, you know, we had a lot on. It was a busy day. And that's the other thing. I don't recognize. If I can't recognize, how can you recognize? Yeah, but I'm on the outside. Like, so I feel like I kind of did and it's disappointing. Like I've seen you through these seasons. Like, yeah. I should have. You've also got a newborn. You're breastfeeding half the time. Like, seriously, I think that you're doing absolutely a wonderful job as being my friend and my co-host. And also, I'm grateful when I listen to you when I'm feeling low and you've got all these highs because, like, if we were both in a rut, this all wouldn't work. So there always is a blessing to us having our highs and lows. Like I never get, you know, oh, fuck that bitch. She's gone. She's (laughs) gone a bar. Well, yes, I am actually pissed off that you're going to bar. No, you deserve it. But you you already went without kids. I'm going with three kids, all right? I'm going to be sleeping three hours max (laughs) at a time. I wouldn't be too jealous. But, hey, if you're not sleeping anyway, Bali's quite a nice place to do it. I couldn't agree. yeah, we will get into today's episode. I think this is a really important chat. This is with Annette and she speaks about her experience and journey with postnatal depression. As we said, it's very fitting timing and completely coincidental. Mm. But so often when people have babies, you know, we see I've I've never been so obsessed with someone in my life. I'm (laughs) so in love. It's like my heart outside my chest. And that was not Annette's experience and she felt very alone and I'm sure you know many listeners will have felt this or potentially are feeling this right now yeah so we think this is a really important discussion if you find this discussion triggering we will have links to Panda the Gidget Foundation and Lifeline in the show notes for you and yeah we hope that this episode resonates with people listening or if it's not something you've experienced at least if there's someone in your life who's going through it you'll be able to better understand them and maybe know what to do to help them yeah we really hope you appreciate this episode Hello, Annette. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Uh, My name's Annette. I live in Sydney on the Northern Beaches with my husband, Ben, and we've got two kids together. My son, Koa, he's three, and my daughter, Tully, she is 18 months. Amazing. And we are going to be chatting a bit today about your experience with postnatal depression. Now, this happened after your second child, which I always find interesting because I think it's something that is often perceived to be, you know, if you have it with your first, you're then going to have it every time. Or, you know, if you haven't got it the first time, you're never going to get it again. And obviously, Jade, you had a different experience with only having it after your third child. So can you kind of take us back to when you had your first child, when you started deciding that you wanted to have a family? How did all of that look? Yeah, so I was pretty young. I was 24 when I fell pregnant the first time and I unfortunately miscarried that baby, but it was a surprise, but I was like, okay, I've decided I want babies because of that loss. So then we very quickly conceived Koa, which was really lucky because that kind of healed that, that void. And it was a really easy pregnancy. And I'm so sorry to say that to you too. You're allowed. No, she's not. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I was not sick. I had no issues other than prenatal depression. Like I was completely depressed through my whole pregnancy, even though I wanted it so badly. 
And as soon as I gave birth to him, it went away. And oh, wow. So you actually had prenatal depression then. Yeah. And how did that kind of man- manifest for you? I just hated every aspect of the pregnancy from the moment I saw the positive tests. Even though I really wanted it, I was just miserable. I wouldn't exercise. I wouldn't socialize. Hated the way I looked. Didn't want to get out of bed. Loved the baby, but just hated me in that state, if that makes sense. And were these feelings you'd experienced before? Have you got a background with depression, anxiety, nothing like that? Nothing. So it was, it was pretty scary, but I remember I was on Panda's Instagram a lot and they posted something and it said, it doesn't matter how much you wanted your pregnancy, you're still allowed to hate it or something Mm. along those lines. And I was like, wow, I donated my wallpaper of my phone because I was like, that just validated me so much. And as your first child, did you ever think, oh, maybe that's how everyone feels in pregnancy, so I'm just going to deal with this? Or did you actually do something about it and go, I think I need to speak to my doctor or someone and say, I don't think this is normal to feel this way? I knew it wasn't normal because I had a lot of pregnant friends, but I did not have the courage to speak to anyone about it. Well, but bless you, because you had Panda up and you obviously were going through the motions, so you knew that there was something going on. Yeah, I knew it wasn't right, but I just didn't want to, I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to say it to anyone. And I almost feel like the fact that physically you felt well potentially made it harder that you were having these thoughts, because whenever I told someone oh, I'm feeling depressed when I was pregnant, people were like, oh, well, of course you are because you yeah, feel so sick. sick. And, and and I knew it was in some way caused by that, but I also knew that it was its own thing as well because I would have days where I would feel physically fine and, and they could sometimes be my worst mental mm-hmm. days. So, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but were, were you almost feeling guilty because you're like, well, there's not actually anything going wrong, but I still hate this? So much guilt. Like that is the key word. Just by coincidence, so many of my friends were pregnant at the same time and so many of them were so sick or they had diabetes or they had pups rash or and I was just had nothing I was like I've just got to shut my mouth because I am other than gaining 30 kilos I had a very easy pregnancy so I was I that's why I couldn't admit it because it was the guilt for sure and was body image a main factor you mentioned that you were a younger mum did Mm. you think that was something that made you feel you know uncomfortable in your body did you not feel comfortable the way that you were looking and growing. Yeah, definitely. And I hate to admit that, but I do think it played a big role. I just wasn't, my body is not meant to be, I'm only five foot two, so I was big everywhere. And I hate to say it, but I did, that played a huge role, yeah. And I thank you for saying it and sharing it because I feel like a lot of people would think like that and they don't feel like they're allowed or they Mm. should be thinking that, oh gosh, I'm worrying about my body. But at the end of the day, that's just how people feel. Like I couldn't help that I had postnatal depression. So if you couldn't help that she had prenatal depression, you can't help how you're feeling about your body Mm. and it is what it is. So I feel like if you're having the conversation and saying to people, yeah, 
I hated my body in this pregnancy and it made it really, really hard going forward in hopefully your second pregnancy, you would be more aware of why and how that was happening. And we speak about it so much. I feel like as a society, we've come so far in not making well some aspects of society in not commenting on women's bodies, but that just goes out the window the second you're pregnant. So it's another thing just to tell people just don't make comments because yes. you don't know how someone's dealing with their changing body. Even compliments triggered me. Even when people said how good I look, I'd be like, can you stop looking at me? Can you please yeah. stop paying attention to me because I'm not feeling good. So you're so right. And I still forget that. Are you sure it's not twins comments all the time? Which I'm like, can we stop saying to people, are you sure it's not twins? No, I've had about 200 ultrasounds. <laughs> I know I look at it, but I'm, yeah, yeah, people just yeah. do it. And so did you have any fears of what your relationship would be like after you had your baby if you were feeling this way during pregnancy? Um, surprisingly not. I was so excited to meet him, like so excited to go through labour, so excited to hold him because I've always been a very maternal person. I love babies. So that was never a fear. And so were you thinking in the back of your head throughout that whole pregnancy, I've just got to get to birth and then hopefully I'll feel better? Yeah. And even more so, which again, this is hard to admit, but I was also thinking I've just got to get to six weeks postpartum so I can start walking and exercising and feeling good about myself. And then so how was his birth and when you got to meet him? It was amazing. I was uh, induced at 39 weeks and it was very stock standard birth. I had an epidural. He was easy to push out. And as soon as he was placed on my chest, it was like that instant, I want to eat you. I'm obsessed <laughs> with you. I love you. Like it was all worth it. Nine months yeah. ago, it was worth it. Yeah, it was like pure bliss. Like what you see in the movies, that was as soon as he was on my chest, that's what I felt. And then that just continued yeah. throughout his newborn days. Yeah. Even the rough nights and struggling to latch all the issues in the matter because I was so obsessed with him. And it was also March 2020. So it was like we were going into lockdown and I didn't care because I had him. I was like, I don't, yeah. need, I don't need to see people. I've got you. Mm. All right. And then let's fast forward. So did you make the conscious decision that you wanted to have another baby? We definitely wanted a second. I wanted three originally. And then after that pregnancy, I was like, I think just one more. I don't think I could go through it again. So we knew we wanted a second and we thought when he turns two, we'll start trying. But he was 10 months old when I found out I was pregnant again. So the surprise factor was huge. And this is my PSA that the pullout method does not work. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yes. So Koa was only 10 months old. So it was the biggest shock of my life. And even though it wasn't that far ahead of schedule. A fair way. An entire yeah. year and a bit. That's a yeah. lot in the scheme of a 10-month-old's life. Yeah. Like he was still such a baby and I was like, yeah. what the hell have I done? I think I cried every day the first trimester. I didn't tell anyone except my husband. I didn't tell my mum until I was nine weeks. I was just so rattled by it, which was not a good start to the whole situation. But I wanted a second. So at the end of the day, I was like, well, it's just getting over and done with. It is what it is. And then I found out she was a girl, which, like, sorry again to admit this, but I was so elated because I really wanted a girl. And had you told your husband, you know, 
the first time how you were feeling or did you tell him once Koa was born or like was he aware of why you were probably so rattled to be pregnant again? No, I didn't tell him about Koa, how I was feeling. He knew I was rattled because it was so soon. Yeah. Not because of the pregnancy issues, but he was really excited. Like he'd been wanting a second then anyway. So he, I think, was too overwhelmed with excitement to kind of realize the depth of it. I mean, he knew I wasn't happy when I was pregnant, but I don't think he knew how bad. So what about this time around? Were you questioning, oh, gosh, am I going to be feeling the same way as I did, you know, the first time with COA or is this going to be different? I didn't even have time to question it because it was the same way instantly. And I knew those feelings. But I guess the difference that time was I knew that once she was born, it would be okay. And it was also a winter pregnancy. So I was kind of excited to cover up a bit because I knew I knew the same thing would happen And it did. I gained 30 kilos again, lots of fluid. So I was feeling very depressed, but I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. So it wasn't as scary. What would you say to other women that struggle with their body and their appearance during pregnancy in that time? Like what could they do to help themselves? I know that you were saying that you were very quiet about it. You didn't really reach out to people, but in hindsight, do you wish you had have done that to get some more support? Yeah, definitely. Even if it's just your partner, because that was the biggest mistake I made, not telling Ben how I really felt because I told him in the second pregnancy. So from the get go, he knew how I was feeling. I really opened up to him and having his support made the world of difference. And also just not feeling sorry for myself, which sounds easier said than done. But I guess when you've got a toddler and you're forced to get out and about, that made the biggest difference because with Koa, I was just like, woe is me. I'm going to be in bed all day. I'm going to act like a depressed person because that's what I thought I was. And I didn't have that choice the second time. So I think getting support and just getting outside, like it's so simple, but it just made the biggest difference. Again, that was another lockdown year because that was 2021. So even just having the 5K rule, it didn't matter. I was just like, we are going out. We are doing the 5K walk. We are, and it made a big difference. And in between the pregnancies, had you got to a point that you, like loved your body or at least accepted your body again or did you kind of go into the next pregnancy already not being happy with how you were looking? No, I was at a good place. I remember actually I woke up the morning I tested and I was feeling so good and I texted my sisters and I was like, I'm so proud of myself. Like look at me. I I took a selfie and sent it to them and I was like, I feel amazing. Like I'm the strongest I've ever been. And then I took a test that afternoon and I messaged them again and was like, oh, my God. And were the feelings just instant? Yeah, yeah, instant. So it's almost like doom knowing that you're, you've got no control or you feel mm. like you have no control of your image mm. and you premeditate this darkness. Yeah, for sure. I think it was very much self-inflicted and it just got worse and worse and worse over the nine months. But even when I did try to get out of it, it was like too far gone. The damage is done and you just have to wait. You just have to wait till the baby's born. You just have to wait till she's six weeks old and then you'll get back into feeling yourself again. You'll be able to move because, you know, you, you ladies know how it is. Like when you're so big and 
pregnant, you can't even get out of bed without wanting to punch something because it hurts so much. <laughs> totally. It's like, I just can't wait to like move and feel good. And that's just what you have to look forward to. But it blows my mind that you sit there and say to yourself, okay, I've just got to wait nine to 10 months. Like that's what you're saying to yourself that you've mm. got to wait to feel mentally better again. And but yeah. then you diminish it. Like you don't even validate yourself because you start going, oh, well, at least I know mine's temporary. Like there's other people out there that, you know, they don't know when their depression's going to end or they've got a chronic illness and that's, you know, that's a lifelong thing. And you start to almost diminish your own feelings because you go, well, I know that there's an end point. So like I yeah. should just get on with things. Yes. Especially when you do start comparing and you've got friends that are struggling to get pregnant. Yeah. You've got friends, like I said earlier, who are really sick and you're like, that, that's exactly it. It's, it's hard not to put yourself down about that. Yeah. And then so tell us, how are you feeling going into the birth this time? So excited, like beyond, because I knew those feelings that I had and I was like, it's all going to be okay. I'm going to get her and I'm going to feel amazing. And I was really excited to go into labor naturally just to experience something different from an induction. So we got to 41 weeks and I was so low. I was just like doing everything to get this baby out. Did not want to be induced. And we did go into labor naturally and it was actually amazing. It was 30 hours at home for the most part. So I was just in my zone. I, my mum came and picked up Koa. Ben basically slept through the whole thing. I was just, I was like, you know what? I actually don't need you. You go to bed. I was bouncing on my ball. I was watching Netflix at home. In hindsight, I should have had a home birth because I was just like absolutely loving it. I was calling my midwife and she was like, you sound fine. And I was like, I feel fine in between. But then they were getting to like five minutes apart and I live about 30 minutes from the hospital. So she was like, you sound fine, you sound fine. I said, you know what, I feel like I should start driving because it's a bit of a drive and it's been like, you know, 29 hours by this point. And she was like, okay, come in if you must. I was like, get the bath running. I'm going to hop in the bath and have a water birth, this magical experience. So we get in the car and that's when it starts ramping up. Like I'm out of my home bubble. I've got Ben next to me annoying me. And I'm just like, you're oh, in so an uncomfortable long. car. You're I'm sitting car. on your baby's head pretty much. <laughs> Yes, yes, with like a 30-minute drive ahead of me. We get to the car park and I'm like, oh, God, I'm not going to make it inside. I'm not going to make it. But we start walking in and get to the room. So by the time we parked the car and the baby was born, it was seven minutes. <gasps> so thank God we left when we did. But I was on the floor, on the floor on all fours, had her naturally. Like I never thought I'd be able to do that. So that was a really proud moment for me because I'm a bit of a wuss, and she was placed on my chest. Like I got onto the bed, she was put on my chest, and I was like, oh, God, get her off me, get her off me. I don't I don't want her. I don't, like I don't know if I went into shock from the, the birth pain or if it was her, but something was like, but I was hiding it. I was like, Ben, like you take her, you take her, and the midwife yeah. was like, no, let's try and latch her on. And I was like, I really, I, I actually don't want her on me right now. But I pushed through, and I was putting it down to, whoa, that was really shocking. Like I almost didn't make yeah. it. That was very painful. I was on the floor. I pooed all over her head. Like a lot happened. Yeah, you were yeah, trying to been, process yeah, what You'd been happening. going for 30 hours. Yeah, I was. I was just, just thought I was in shock from the birth, which is why I didn't want her on me. But then, it, yeah, it just 
never went away, that feeling. So you went home and can you talk us through how you felt? Because I've never spoken to someone else about that feeling of thinking that you should have the feeling because I knew what it was like with the other two. You have that like obsessed feeling of loving and nurturing and to pretend or feel like you were faking it yeah. is a really guilty, heavy experience. Yeah, and same for me that I did have that fear because I knew what you were supposed to feel, supposed to feel in inverted commas. But, um, or what you could feel. What you could feel, that yeah. love, that obsession, that like primal want to eat them feeling. I was scared because it wasn't coming and I just kept blaming the birth for it. Even though when I think about the birth, it really wasn't that shocking, but I think it's just what I was blaming. So I guess the next few days, you know, Ben went back to work. At that point, Koa was 18, 19 months old, and I still wasn't connecting with her. I wanted to protect her and keep her happy, but I really didn't have love for her. And I thought, oh, I'm just really busy with Koa. It'll come, it'll come, and it never came, and, in fact, it got worse over time. And did you feel the same love for Koa? Mm. Yes, I had the same love for Koa. So you could look at him and be like, I would do anything for you, I love you so much, and then look at Tully and you were like, I want to keep you alive, but there's not a lot. Oh, wow. Exactly. Like I really I missed him, and I was like, I want my real baby. And then Ben would take him out, and I'd be like, no, let me go out with him. You have Tully. Meanwhile, I'm like recovering with stitches and milk spurting out, but I, I, I did not lose that love for him. If anything, it got bigger. It's almost like you were terrified. Like it just, it feels like that feeling of being terrified. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I mean, I was terrified because I was like, what is going on? And I did speak to Ben about it, which I'm so glad I did because I was so so shameful and embarrassed and guilty and I thought people might think I was hurting her or they might take her away which I Mm. like obviously wasn't but it did get worse I felt like I got to a point where I hated her and I regretted having her I used to google I regret having my child it didn't help that she was a really hard baby like colic reflux hip dysplasia wouldn't take a bottle, you know, all those things that yeah. lots of people experience. But I was just like, oh, Koa never did this. Like I just I just couldn't help but compare them. And um, during so many night feeds, she'd wake up and I would just be in a fit of rage, not at her. Like she'd wake up next to me and I would just say to Ben, F, like this is, why is she waking up? Why is she waking up? And it's like, mate, she's a newborn. This is what Koa did. You've done this before. You know what to do. Why are you so angry at her? Like that was the feelings I was having towards her. Did you have those feelings towards anyone else? Like, you know, when you were outside doing the groceries or, you know, at the petrol station, was there any other triggers in your life that made you really irritated or was it purely just down to her? It was just her. Yeah, which is really horrible to say. And even, like, I used to think, oh, gosh, sorry, I'm getting emotional. No, that's allowed. Take your time. I used to think, she's not even cute. Like, 
well, mother doesn't think their newborn baby is like the most beautiful thing in the world, which is what I thought about Koa. And I look back at photos of him as a newborn now and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know how we all do that. But yeah. in that moment, I looked at her and I was like, she's not even very cute, which is just horrible to say because now I look back at photos of her as a newborn and I think, oh, my God, she was so cute. She was such a cute newborn. It's the strangest feeling and I think also not understanding that you're in a deep postnatal depression because when I looked at my children, I didn't just have this depression and emptiness for the child I just gave birth to. I actually had this with all of my children at this time. So as soon as I got home from the hospital, I looked at all of my children and thought they were all ugly. And I don't want people to listen to this and go, how vain or how basic. When I say ugly, it's like, and this is so sad, but it's like the connection that you once had from mother to child has vanished. So you're looking at a child that's not yours. So there's not this connection anymore. And it's really hard to love them because you don't have that there. So when my two kids were screaming and the newborn was staring at me, mm-hmm. I was like, I know I'm supposed to. Like I'm going to fake smile as hard as I can and my chest is so heavy right now Mm -hmm. but I'm going to, like what it took for me to smile at this baby and I would have tears coming down my face because I was like I can't feel what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. When you say ugly, you don't mean in terms of looks. Do you mean more like they're just their whole being is irritating absolutely but also you know when you look at your children even if they're pissing you off or they're driving you mad they're still yeah beautiful yeah like we all go through ugly periods in life in terms of our personality or you lose your teeth or but this was more than that this is like the ugliness of how like come, a repulsion. Yeah, repulsion. Yeah. How come I can't, where's my connection gone to you? Yeah. And that's frightening. That's exactly what I felt. And funny you say about the smile incident when you forced yourself to smile at them. That actually happened to me with a kiss. Like I remember she would have been a couple months old and I said out loud to Ben, I just realised I've never kissed Tully. I've never kissed her. And he was like, that's weird. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kiss her. So I kissed her and it felt like the most unnatural thing. And I didn't even want to do it again. Whereas with Koa, I was like wanting to eat his face, but I was just like, kissed her. And I was like, mm, probably not going to do that again for a while. It felt foreign. It felt so foreign, like not my baby. So did you spiral at all? Did it get worse? Or when did you get to a point where you thought, I need to actually get some help for this. It was probably when she was about five or six months old. I was. That's a long time. That's a long time. And and that's also why I feel like this is an important conversation because this is what I was looking for at 2 a.m. when I was Googling, when will I love my child? And all the forums and, you know, the Google articles were saying, might take a couple days, wait till your milk comes in, might take a couple weeks, or there was a lot for dads, like dad saying, when will I love my child? And here I am with a five, six-month-old going, 
oh shit, like this is not good. Like a couple days, like I'm still feeling this way. And that's when I called Panda and spoke to them. And I also think her starting solids helped because she started at six months because she wasn't taking a bottle. So she was on me 24 seven and having that little break of her eating food and I could go out helped a lot, but I wish I had gotten help properly. Like it went on far too long. So if anyone is listening to this thinking they're feeling the same way, like just go see someone because it was the longest I say six months, but honestly, I think it properly corrected at about 10 months. It was a long, long time. How do you get through those grueling first weeks, months of that newborn period? I mean, I've been in it myself where, you know, I can look at Pearl and I'm like, oh gosh, I wish you would sleep, but I love you so much. And I have that thing where it's like, I could eat your face. Oh my gosh, you're so cute. And that's not a like a smug thing to say. That's just how I feel and how Mm. you felt with Koa. Like how do you get through those extremely tough times and probably even tougher because you had a somewhat unsettled bub Mm. when you don't have that instinct? instinct, Yeah. yeah. I wish I could tell you I have absolutely no idea. It is all a blur to me. I look back at photos I don't even remember from that time. And I think when she turned one, that's when I really realized that because everyone was saying, happy first birthday. But to me, she was only a couple months old in my world because that's how long I felt like I had had her for. So it was just auto drive. Like I have to keep these two alive. And thank God I had that instinct to want to keep her alive and happy because I think that's just what got me through. I couldn't agree more with you on that. I feel like that whole time for like the three to four month period, because for me, the depression wasn't just purely on one child. It was on my entire life. Like I was seeing objects down the street that I thought people were going to kill themselves and it became more of an anxious state and it got really paralyzing, Mm -hmm. but it's autopilot and it's survival mode. And we're not supposed to feel and be in survival mode 24-7. So for someone to do that and also have to keep little ones alive, it is exhausting mentally and physically on your body. And Mm -hmm. then as you were saying, when you just wanted to put, you know, her down Mm because you wanted a rest, it's like because you just, you needed some time to yourself. And Mm. I kept on doing the same. I'd put the baby down or I'd go, you need to do a feed with a bottle. I introduced formula because I'm like, I don't want to get up at this time here, hand her, hand her, hand her. And it just because it was too, it was too much. It was all too much. And it's not even when they're attached to you because you're still sitting there mentally questioning all the time, even when you're watching your Netflix show. Why don't I love my child? What is wrong with me? Why can't I see my children the way I used to? Why am I feeling numb? Why am I so depressed? Is this my fault? What have I done? What should I have changed? What can I do? And it's just this spiral that just never, ever ends until you start to realize that this is all out of your control Mm -hmm. and you can get help and you can get better. 
with support. And this is why it is so incredibly important to hear these conversations and to have these conversations and to have the professionals that are here waiting for you to be heard, to be listened to. You don't have to tell your loved one if you're too afraid or embarrassed, but Mm -hmm. go and see, walk into the hospital like I did, go and see your GP, call Panda like you did. There are always people that will listen And that is one step further to feeling less pain. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it takes a lot of courage to do that, especially when you're in denial, which I was at times. I don't know about you, but I was in denial at certain points. I thought I was covering it really well as well. And then when I did eventually open up to my friends after the fact, they were all like, oh, yeah, we could tell something was going on. And it's like, wow, I really thought I was hiding it. But it's not normal and you can't. You do need to get support. And actually that reminds me, I'll never forget someone DM'd me on Instagram and said, it's so, oh, I was doing it like a Q&A box. And someone said, it's very obvious how much more you love Koa compared to Tully. Mm. And I was like, whoa, I'm not hiding this at all. Like that sent me into a spiral. And I think that was leading up to when I had the courage to or panda and I was like oh my god I'm not hiding it I, I can't deny this anymore even if that did lead you to getting help let's just say not a helpful comment absolutely still not. never say that to anybody no, and that's not making light of it like that is not yeah that, that sent is, me into a bad no. bad spiral like so how was that conversation with panda yeah what happens so you it's a helpline it's free and I'm pretty sure it's most of the hours of the day if not 24 no not 24 7 I'm not sure, but they were absolutely lovely. I'm ashamed to admit that they told me to get proper help and I never did, like go in and see someone. After we kind of like finished our conversation, I think because I was still very, like I had so much shame. I had so much shame and calling the line felt more anonymous to me. Yeah. Mm. Whereas if I had to go in and see someone face-to-face or do a Zoom or whatever, I just... I was not ready to admit it because of the guilt and the shame. But the panda line was amazing. Like I cannot recommend them enough. Even following them on Instagram is very helpful because of, you know, just the resources they post. Highly recommend you follow them. And what tips did they give you? What guidance did they share for you to start feeling better about the situation? Because I'm assuming from you saying that you've actually never professionally done anything about it so how how has things changed well it was a lot of validation more so um, from them that it can be normal to feel this way and it won't last forever I don't think I believed it at the time but looking back obviously that's the case I think things have changed just naturally over time I stopped breastfeeding when she turned one which I hate to say it but that helped a lot because she never did take take a bottle like I said and it's just purely has been a time thing for me. And also journaling a lot to kind of let go of those feelings. Like I journaled her birth. I've journaled how I felt about her. I also say to her a lot, like before bed, when we're cuddling, I'll say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, I love you so much. I don't feel that way anymore. You know, I just talk to her about it, which they recommended, which I feel does help. But It's just been a time thing for me. I wish there was a magic answer, but it did go away and I never thought it would, but it did. And I am utterly obsessed with her now. 
Mm. Don't get me wrong. She's still freaking difficult. Mm. <laughs> a little sass queen, but I just like, I want to eat her now. I just love her so much. I think the saddest thing about postnatal depression is you you actually miss out on a lot of years. Like mm. you might be in them, but you actually emotionally miss out on a lot of it. Like Yumi from three till four has been the only year that is what I can feel as bright and light, where I can look at her with the love that I've had for the other two children from the moment they were born. And I've had this only for one year of her life and she's four. And it's like, it's so special though. Like I feel like once you drop the you know, you you stop breastfeeding and then they go to daycare and you start to get elements back for yourself. So you can start, you know, mentally caring for yourself better and physically doing well. And I don't know, we just got into a better place. I definitely got professional help. I definitely had to go on medication. There were a lot more things that I went through to get me to where I am today. And I'm still practicing all these things and I will forever. But for this one year that I have felt a real complete change, it's just, it's, I cherish it more than I've ever cherished it before because I can finally see her in the light that I should have always been able to see her in. I feel the same. Like I said, when she turned one and people were saying, it took, you know, 12 months, it's her first birthday. And I was like, no, I've only had a couple months with her. That's like all I can remember. And I just, her first birthday was so emotional. So I totally understand that. I think I spent the whole day crying because I felt so guilty. I've only had, I've only had two months with her and everyone else got 12 months with her. So I understand that completely, but it is more special now. It's definitely more special. Would you have another child? Absolutely not. (laughs) No, no, I can't do it. I'm I'm too scared. In fact, I made Ben get a vasectomy because I'm just. I mean, I would have loved to have four children, but honestly because of that whole experience I'm petrified like petrified of my mental health petrified of obviously hyperemesis but I did that three times so that wasn't really like I could overcome that no the part and I'm not downplaying hyperemesis at all and I think that played into my mental health while I was pregnant with Pearl but the thing that is like no I cannot be pregnant again is how low Mm. I felt Mm. and it's interesting what you guys say about the autopilot experience and feeling like you haven't experienced it. I remember when I was putting together our photo book and I decided that I was going to do it on 2022. And I remember thinking, oh, this will be so quick and easy because I did nothing. Like I was pregnant and we did nothing. And I was going through my photos and I was like, oh, and then we went there. Oh, And then we did this. Oh, and then we had this celebration. And it's almost like I forgot. And in the pictures, I'm I'm looking happy and I'm sure I was somewhat happy, but it's almost like I wasn't a hundred percent there. And I even feel it now that Pearl's been born, that when I have a conversation with someone, I'm like, oh, I was never in any conversations. I was just... I was just doing the bare minimum and sailing along and I would go along to things and I'd be there, but I never, like I had to put an effort in to enjoy it or an effort to act like that was a place I wanted to be. And that in itself is so exhausting, so you know, exhausting. let alone sleep deprivation, breastfeeding or or however you're feeding, you know, like 
it's just, it's so exhausting putting yeah. on this facade. It's a full-time acting role. It honestly is. I have a lot of photos and they're completely like I have sadness when I see them. I look back at all the start of her life and when we were on holidays and I look at it because I was in pain mentally that whole time and it actually makes me feel sick when I look back at it because yep she looks great she's so cute and the cutest jumper and she's doing this and look at my hair it's so thick and it's like almost the reverse I looked well and intact Mm -hmm. I had my makeup on my hair was nice it hadn't snapped from uh, breastfeeding yet and on the outside I looked put together but on the inside I was an absolute shell And I never, ever let anyone, and still to this day, my therapist said to me recently, have you ever just gone out of the house, Jade, and just not worried about anything? Like, have you just walked on out? And I'm like, have you seen my closet? It's in colour coordination. And she's like, you need to do a few more I don't give a fuck moments. She goes, you need to like walk out and just not care every now and then because it's going to make you feel less of a perfectionist. And this all comes to a lot of things like stemming to depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying that everyone is the same as me, but Mm. from what I have gained from having postnatal depression, I am a completely new human being. And as hard and scary as this whole journey was, I am so damn grateful that I've experienced this darkness because I have never felt so strong and proud and in control mentally of myself in my whole entire life. So as sad as it was and hard as it was to have Yumi, she has been my saving grace. That's amazing. And that's helped me a lot as well, listening to all of your episodes and you opening up about it, because I feel exactly the same with Tully. It's amazing how much more grateful I am for her now. I'm so grateful I fell pregnant when I did. I'm so grateful everything happened the way it happened because I just, I would do anything. Obviously you do anything for your kids, but I'm constantly feel like I'm trying to make it up to her. Mm. So I'm like, so much love. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. I just want you to be happy. I just want to, like, I want to make it better, you know? Not that she knows what's going on, but. She doesn't. Yeah. And you do. So yeah. it's more like you making up for you, you know, like you're like, hang on, I want to make up for that lost time that I didn't have with mm. you. Yeah, for sure. And not to blame your friends in any way, but with them saying that they felt like something was going on, do you feel like there's anything that they could have said or done at the time that could have helped or made you seek help earlier? Uh, Possibly, but I honestly don't think so because I don't think I would have admitted it, especially to my friends. Maybe if, you know, my mum had said something, not that I knew if she knew anything, but maybe then, but I don't think I would have been game enough to admit it. But again, having, having that experience, like Jade was just saying with that gratitude of the situation is any of my future friends that are pregnant or are in that period of postnatal, I just, I just want to be there for them. Like they don't want to talk about it. It just, it just feels different now having that experience and having that empathy that I may not have had after Kawa. I remember my friends were close to giving birth and I had just had koa and I, I'd say, just you wait. Just you wait till that baby's put on your chest. You're going to, yeah. you're going to love, and now I do not say that anymore because 
it is common for people to feel that way. Maybe for not as long as I did, but it's definitely a common feeling to not feel that love. I reckon it's a it's a weird thing because for me, I can talk about this openly on the podcast. And like you were saying, it's like just, it's a screen, right? And I know (laughs) that thousands of people listen to us, but if a close one, and I feel like this is how my loved ones see me, if a close one was suffering, it terrifies me. And even though I've been through it and come out the other side, I don't think that I'm strong enough to be able to support them. And that's why I love the professional help because I don't have to feel like I'm needing them, like I'm paying for a service and this is what they're specialised in. So I'm not having to, you know, make everyone feel sorry for me or have to put up with me. I can have people go, no, 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 this is our job. We, We can actually help you. And that's what I do love about Australia and the services that we have because we have so many options from Lifeline to Panda, Gidget Panda, Foundation. Gidget Foundation. There Butterfly. are just so, yeah. Butterfly, there are just Beyond Blue, you name it. There are so many different sources of information that we can use if if we need to. Absolutely. But that's a great learning point actually for me because I feel like mine was like a switch when I gave birth in terms of how I felt. And I feel like I've said to so many people, I guess it's it's a coping mechanism to try and get people through a tough time is that, you know, as soon as that baby leaves your body, you'll feel back to yourself again. And I guess that was my experience, but mm-hmm. that's not necessarily everyone's experience. And yeah, it's a tough one because mm-hmm. you want to give people that light at the end of the tunnel, but you don't want them doubting that you know, there's something even more wrong with them if that is not how it goes for them. Exactly. It's a hard one because I know that people experience it with their first, but more likely their second or third, I think. I'm not sure. I've read into it, but it's um, like, how are you to know? But also the expectation side of things. We're expected to feel good once you give birth. You're expected to love your child immediately. You're expected to like just all these things are already instilled and programmed into us. So no wonder we're set up to fail when we slightly feel uncomfortable or feel down or something happens. We go, oh gosh, this is not right. And like you were saying, you expected to have a natural birth that wasn't in seven minutes, like Mm -hmm. when you got there. So your brain didn't actually probably register that and no wonder like as soon as you gave birth you needed a minute I mean obviously it was so much more than that but that in itself is probably one part of the depression yeah so true and there was just lots of unexpected things I suppose which is why I guess it would be more common the second time around like for example Koa really struggled to latch and breastfeed properly whereas she was just a champion at it and I was like whoa 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 like (laughs) I've got bottles in my bag Like she's really good at this, which sounds so wrong because that's what I really wanted. I really wanted a smooth breastfeeding journey the second time around and I got it. And I was like, no, I don't want this anymore. And I remember texting my mum when she was a few weeks old going, I think breastfeeding is making me feel a bit sad. I'm going to start bottles just to like almost get permission. And mum was like, absolutely do it, like do bottles. And then when she didn't take that first bottle, I was like, oh God. It's all going downhill from here. She's not taking a bottle. I think I ordered every bottle you can possibly get in Australia. But you're right. It's like that. It was just all shocking. 
because it was different. They even looked different, which upset me. They look like two different, they actually look similar now, but as newborns, they looked really different. And that was, I think, that played a role in it as well. So just all of those unexpected turns, they just all domino affect each other. And so if you had a friend who came to you now and they were like, you know, eight weeks postpartum, I'm having these feelings, like what's a way that we can help a friend going through this? Oh, gosh, that's so hard. I just feel like just validating how they feel and not making them feel shame or guilt. And if it was me, I would just be so honest with them about how I felt giving them a hug, taking their baby and saying, go have a shower and go cry, scream in the shower, do what you have to do. Then go get a journal, write it all down and then call Panda and I will hold your baby the whole time. You just do what you've got to do. I think just being there for them, that's all I could say. And giving them permission to feel that way and that it's okay. And that's only if they're like you can actually see some cracks or they're actually speaking because this is usually so silent that no one has any idea. And I'm sure there's a lot of my friends that are going through it or who have gone through it and you don't want to say something if you don't know. Like it's just a really hard conversation to have. And if you are wrong, (laughs) like that is going to probably be. But you can start off simply with how are, are you, you okay? Yeah. Do you feel like you're coping? I think this is an important one with friends. Sometimes we all get caught up in how we are feeling like, oh, they're not talking to me. I wonder why they're not talking to me. I wonder why they won't hang out with me. I wonder why. Like you put it on yourself and you've got to kind of stop being selfish about <laughs> it and go, there might be more to it than just me. It has nothing to do It with actually me. could be a lot more. They could mm-hmm. be really, really suffering. And this is something that I wish I had have known in a lot of situations because it is still I wish I remind myself like with when people are having off days, it's like, what the fuck have I done to you? Oh, actually, it's not all to do with you, Jade. They have a whole life that they're dealing with. And I think in early motherhood, there's so many things that you can say that can justify changing or feeling different you know like it's so easy to turn around and you know you had two kids well under two if a friend had have asked you probably would have just turned around and been like oh I'm just tired oh I'm just adjusting Mm. to two you know things are hard but you know normal hard yeah so I guess yeah if you're going through it I guess have a have a think if you think it is normal hard or if if there's more to it than that because you can get help. And even if it is normal hard, that holding of the baby and that giving them the opportunity to have a shower, like what mums would just kill for that time, especially when they've got more than one child, it is just, so, it means so much. Yeah. And there's nothing better than a shower cry or a shower yes. scream. You're just in a hot shower and you just are sobbing. It's quite a nice release. Mm. And it's important. Yeah. You need it for sure. And you probably need a shower because (laughs) 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 how efficient. Yes. Get them both done at once. No, there is something so cathartic about a shower cry. Mm, You're like, I don't know what's my tears and what's the water, but we are one. Yeah. 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 Sure. Well, thank you so, so much, Annette, for joining us and for being so open. Mm-hmm. I'm sure so many people that listen to this are going to unfortunately feel like, you know, you're almost telling their story. And so we want to send love out there to anyone 
who, you know, knew motherhood is not what they expected it to be and that there is help out there. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me and letting me say it. I hope if even if it just helps one mum, I'll be so, so happy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.